Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. I mean, beverages, watching a big game, it can't get any better. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning, I'm checking the betting odds, I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health, and DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning, it's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy, I'm sharper at work, I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle. Code 25SHUFFLE. This is the GM Shuffle. This is a dinosaur position in the National Football League. It's few and far between these guys are doing it. But when you get one of these guys, they become the knight on the chessboard because they're so versatile. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, we have made it. We have a football game tonight. Tonight, in Ohio, yes. baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I, I am really excited. It's great opportunity. I mean, Josh McDaniel, his father, Tom, one of the nicest human beings, great high school coach, Femi, great high mm. school coach from Canton, Ohio, the home of the great Alan Page, uh, the home of football. You know, at Ralph Hayes Automotive Dealership is where this league started. Uh, it was so crowded in that automotive dealership that they had to sit on the edges of the cars to really form this league. So, Right where football started, we're going to start the season. And to the McDaniel family, I salute them. Tom, as they get a street named after him in the town for all his efforts in high school and what Josh has been able to do as an offensive coordinator now as he moves on to his second stint as a head coach. So hats off to the McDaniels and great starting the season. Yeah, really cool experience for Josh McDaniel going back home there to coach his first game as the Raiders head coach. But, hey, we'll get into all of that throughout this podcast. But make sure, as always, to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. The reviews have been coming in. We will try to get to your questions when we can. Tweet at us as well, at MLombardiNFL is where you can find Michael. At Femi Abebefe is where you can find me, our producer Stephen Bond, with us as always on the ones and twos. But, Michael, we got to get to more of the serious topic here in the NFL, and that Mm. is surrounding Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. The NFL Wednesday decided to appeal Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension that was originally issued by Judge Sue L. Robinson. Sue L. Robinson was the independent disciplinary officer appointed by both the NFL and NFLPA. And some of the factual findings, important to note, of Robinson's 
report and ruling are binding and may not be appealed throughout this appeals process. Judge Robinson found that Watson violated the NFL's personal conduct policy on three different accounts. Now, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, will have a chance to either appeal or appoint somebody to appeal this case here. But all the information that's on the table, and we'll get into a lot of it throughout this discussion here, Michael, um, your initial thoughts here to the appeal that we heard less than 24 hours ago from the NFL. You know, Femi, uh, we can uh, learn a lot from pop culture movies. Do you remember the Goodwill Hunting in the opening scene where, uh, you know, he beats up that guy in the playground and they take mm-hmm. him to court and he's sitting on the court and, and he represents himself. Matt Damon represents himself and he starts citing prior cases to get himself off. Mm-hmm. And those prior cases, they go back to the 1700s or whatever it is. It's in, it's in the law. And that's what law is, prior cases, precedent. Like what has happened in the past? What is moving forward? What is the precedent in this area? Judges want to use precedent. The problem with this ruling is because of the NFL's been all over the place, four games for Tom Brady, you know, for, 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 uh, for deflating footballs. Never did it, but four games for it, right? A million dollars to craft, right? was never proven but they you know but they did it and then arbitrarily six games for steroid violation but then six games for for these accounts like there's been no there's been no structure there has been no criteria there has been no precedent set so when she comes she didn't know what to do she literally didn't know what to do she had she didn't know to and she wants to be able to cite x versus thing in july of the as a case Right. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be able to cite that and she couldn't and she couldn't. And so therefore, you know, therefore she came up with six games and the NFL is all pissed off about it because it's not a year. Well, the NFL should be pissed off at themselves because they have never uniformed the personal conduct in terms of what is expected. Like if you know you are going to do something and here's the penalty, I'm not saying you won't do it. I'm just saying you got to understand the consequences. Right. And so because we have no standard criteria, we're all over the place. It's the reason why the Hall of Fame so screwed up. And I write about it in my new book. There's no criteria for entrance for coaches, for executives, for players. It's just an arbitrary. I think this guy's the best player. I think Ray Lewis is the best linebacker ever to play. Nobody ever paid attention to whether Buckus was good or any of that. None of that. Right. It's just arbitrary. So when you have an arbitrary process, you have no precedent. I think this is what you get. Yeah. And in the appeals process from the reports that we've been reading throughout the past uh, 36 hours or so, it sounds like the NFL is seeking an indefinite suspension or a year long suspension for Watson. Now, it's an interesting situation because the NFL, like you mentioned, Sue Robinson, she put out the evidentiary report there in her ruling. And she pretty much shows that Watson just uh, violated these three accounts there of the personal conduct policy. But like you mentioned, she didn't really know what to do from a suspension standpoint. So she almost put the ball back in the NFL's court of like, hey, you guys, in a sense, figure this out. And then if you have to go to court, it'll be figured out then. But as of now, the NFL is hoping that they can get that year-long suspension, which I'd imagine this appeal is going to be heard by Roger Goodell. We haven't seen that indicated or that hasn't been reported, but something of this high profile and this serious of a nature it probably is going to stop at Goodell, don't you think, Michael? 
Well, I mean, it, it, how does it not? Like, it, just say Goodell says, Troy Vincent, you oversee it, right? And you have, like, Goodell's yeah. going to be involved. I mean, you yeah. can't be the behind, you can't pull an Al Davis here. You know, the key with Al Davis used to love to be behind the curtain, the wizard, working on different things. And then please employ, I, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't, you know, I, I had nothing to do with that. I, I'm just here watching the games, you know. Everybody knows you had a lot to do with it, right? And, and, and probably was for a good thing at one time. But you, you might as well stand in front. That's what leadership is about. You stand in front when things aren't going good. If you send Troy Vincent out there to make the call and you're going to meddle behind the scenes, I think you've got a lot of problems. So for me, for me, I think he should just come out and say, I'm taking this over. This is in my jurisdiction, and I'm going to hear it. Now, he, he, they can't present different evidence. All he can do is impose a different – now, what he's got to be careful of is we know if he goes a year, this is going to go to court. So what's happening today, and I don't have mm-hmm. proof of this, but what's happening today is simply this. They're neg- lawyers are negotiating. Yep. I mean, that's what lawyer, that, that's what goes on. They're negotiating some form. Is it going to be 8? Is it going to be 12? Is it going to be 10? You know, is it going to be 7? I think that's kind of where it is right now. And I think Goodell would like to get a settlement so he doesn't lose his authority in the courts that's been collectively bargained. This, uh, the negotiation to me, I think, is really interesting because we saw the reports before the prior six-game suspension that the NFL offered Watson a 12-game suspension with a near $10 million fine. That was from Sports Illustrated. Also, the NFL, we saw the report that they wanted the indefinite suspension. It sounded like Watson's camp was only willing to do six to eight games, which is why we saw when the initial six-game suspension came out, Watson's camp did not appeal And the NFLPA put that out Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening saying that we are going to respect whatever Judge Suell Robinson comes down with tomorrow morning, almost indicating that they probably knew that it was going to be a six-game suspension around where they felt comfortable. But Watson's camp didn't appeal the initial suspension, which I think is an interesting point as well here. But in terms of the negotiating, do you think that they end up getting something done here over the next couple of weeks? Because you think that Roger Goodell might be in, in jeopardy of losing some of this power here that was uh, collectively bargained in the 2020 new CBA. Well, they've had difficulty when they've gone to court. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. Brady took them to court too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Brady took them and, and that, that didn't work out for Brady. But there's been other cases where it has worked out for the player. So, you know, if it gets into court, I think it's anyone's guess. But I think what, what they're going to rely on is that Sue Robinson, an arbitrary judge appointed by the league with no relationship with the league officer, with the player associate, ruled that he did violate that, this. And because he violated this, he is now subject to some form of penalty. And because of their own mess that they've created by not having a standardized, uh, a standardized disciplinary action for this, they are now subjected to what she gave six games. So it's their mess. They got to clean it up, fam. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And if you're the Cleveland Browns, I think you know today that you know there's a good chance that he's going to go more than. There's a really good chance he's going to go more than six. We know that. However, if it gets into the courts and it gets appealed, then I think he could play after six games, serve six, mm-hmm. and keep playing. Or maybe he plays anyway until they they come to some consensus. I think that's the fundamental question that I can't answer. Yeah, and I think that's an important one because I think a lot of folks now are thinking back to Tom Brady in his case with the Deflategate stuff, Ezekiel Elliott in his case, what was being uh, accused against him there. And both of them were able to get the temporary restraining order or the preliminary injunction to continue to play while it was playing out through the court system. But I saw Mike Florio, and I'll I'll give him the tip of the cap here. Uh, He pointed this out there that because Watson and his camp didn't appeal the initial six-game suspension, 
any sort of injunction or a restraining order that the NFLPA would file wouldn't necessarily kick in until week seven, which would be the point to where which Watson doesn't believe that he should be suspended. So if there's no ruling that's uh, came down from federal court until that point, then we might see Deshaun Watson back on the field. Uh, but prior to that, it sounds like he's still going to miss those first six games, regardless what happens through the appeals or what happens with him going to federal court, which seems like that's going to be the case if the lengthy suspension we're all anticipating comes of this appeal. Yeah, I mean, look, when it comes to the courts, I, it's anyone's real. There's, again, it has to be precedent, and it's certainly in these cases, we don't have it. So, you know, if you're the Browns, I, I think to me, you've got to really prepare yourself for the fact that this is going to drag on for a while. Now, the league says it's not. The league says they're going to make a timely decision. So I would suspect, I mean, Goodell's, when he appealed, he has to know what he wants to do. I, I really feel like he as the commissioner, as somebody in charge, as the face of the league, he needs to step in front of this and say, I'm leading it. Like, I'm leading mm-hmm. it. This is my call. Yeah. What do you, what do you ultimately think happens here? Because uh, I know if the Browns are probably maybe coming up with contingency points and all that stuff or, or of what they could potentially do if they're missing Watson for a lengthy amount of time here. Uh, what do you think happens? I mean, it's hard to guess right now, but uh, if you could do your best guess, what do you think uh, ends up happening when this all plays out? I got to think he gets 12 games. I think he's going to get – I mean, I think that if, if the league is going to hold on to a year, you know, I think maybe he gets he, – does he settle for 12? You know, double what, mm-hmm. double what Sue Robinson come up, came up with? I mean, I'm sure the – it really comes down to what is your best case. Like, you know, all these things. You know, you remember the scene in, in – uh, in the great movie Zero Dark Thirty, where they're all sitting around the table, and James Gandolfini, who's playing, uh, who's playing the, the director of the CIA, Leon Panetta, and and the, he asked them for the probability of is Bin Laden in the house, and you know nobody other than the woman, she she went ninety nine point nine percent he's in there, you know, and they all got a gas right. So what's happening in both NFLPA offices and the NFL offices is the same thing. They got a bunch of lawyers in the room. Goodell's saying, what's our probability of winning this in court if we just go ahead and suspend him for a year? And they're all going to say 70-30, like they. They did in good like they did in zero dark 30 and in the nfl pa they're saying the same thing so they're calculating what their risk reward is you know and, mm-hmm. and based on that is what we'll see towards a negotiation if the pa thinks they're going to lose you know they'll settle for the 12 if the nfl thinks they're going to lose maybe they'll settle for the 10 i think it's all part of the, what's the strength of your case in terms of when it gets to court I think a lot of people, when they hear about the appeals and the appeal being heard by either Roger Goodell or somebody that he appoints to hear that appeal, a lot of folks have the question of what is the point of the independent disciplinary officer? I know Watson's camp has that question as well here. Me um, too. We, like, what, what do you think is, is it just it's because that was negotiated in the CBA? Because essentially it's the same situation of Goodell hearing and getting the final word in these disciplinary hearings. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, I have the same, if you're going to give it to her and then you're going to change her ruling, what, what, you know, now what she did for him was she gave him a a lot of credibility if it gets to the court because she is an independent arbitrator. He can go to the courts and say, look, this is what's in my right by the CBA. She did, I don't feel she imposed enough of of a disciplinary action, but the evidence is here to prove that I have every right to do what I'm doing. That's a powerful tool right there. Yeah. And, and I think it's important just to put out what she had in the evidentiary record there in her, in her findings, because when you read that, it's, it's going to hold, I feel like in my opinion, it's going to 
uh, side with what the NFL wants in getting a longer suspension because the stuff is out there. It's a little graphic, and this is some of the findings that she had in her evidentiary record there. She said, with respect to whether the contact was intentional, the matter of intent generally must be inferred from circumstantial evidence in the absence of an admission. In this case, Mr. Watson reached out to women whose professional qualifications were unknown and unimportant to him. He insisted on using a towel, increasing the probability of exposure. He insisted on having the therapist focus on areas of his body that not uncommonly triggered erections, and he engaged in this pattern of conduct multiple times. I find this sufficient circumstantial evidence to support the NFL's contention not only that contact occurred, but that Mr. Watson was aware that contact probably would occur and that Mr. Watson had a sexual purpose, not just a therapeutic purpose in making these arrangements with these particular therapists. Uh, that is just a, a little bit of what she found in the readings. I encourage you to go out there and, and read the rest of it there because it really goes in depth on what uh, Ju Sud Judge Sue L. Robinson found in some of these uh, the, the hearings here. But to me, it's, I, I don't know how this plays out. Um, I would guess, like you mentioned, 12, maybe they come up with a settlement. But if there's no settlement, I doubt we see Watson on the field this year. At least I don't think he's going to end up playing this year. But we'll see how this unfolds later on in court. It's something that we're going to be talking about quite a bit here as now we're going through the appeal process. And that's going to kick into maybe going to federal court, depending on what the NFLPA decides to do. Um, the NFL, they've been really busy with a lot of uh, hearings and a lot of investigations because we saw the Miami Dolphins uh, earlier this week. They lost a fourth first round pick in 2023 and a third round pick in 2024 due to the tampering violating the tampering policy with tom brady and sean payton so owner stephen ross is now suspended through october 17th he's also been fined one and a half million dollars roger goodell in the finding said the investigators found that tampering violations of unprecedented scope and severity here uh this is something that we've heard of tampering in many leagues but in the nfl we don't see it too often here um, and after a six-month investigation, it sounds like the Dolphins got hit with the hammer here. No doubt. I mean, look, the, it, what I think you have to understand is Bruce Beal, the, the minority owner who also got suspended, he's not allowed to attend league meetings till October, and mm -hmm. he got fined a half a million dollars as well. You know, he and Tom are really close friends. So, you know... How do you separate that, right? Like, this is one of the, the biggest contentions I've always had in the league is in the NBA in the past, the NBA, if you were an agent in the NBA, you could not represent coaches and players, right? And so if, if because there's such a conflict of interest, right? Yeah. There's such a kind of intermingling of, of, of agendas. And, it's, and so when you're an owner of the Miami Dolphins and your best friend is Tom Brady, like when you send a text, is that tampering? By the law, it is. You're not supposed to even have any contact with them. So, you know, I, I can imagine that this trail of what they tried to accomplish uh, was pretty easy for the NFL to, to deduce and, and, and obviously impose the fine. I think they made it very clear that I thought they separated the intent of we're trying to lose and they held upheld Flores' attempt to try to win. I think that's ultimately what they cleared up. And I think this sets precedent for all these other teams that want to go down this, oh, we're just going to tank it road. You know, some of these, as, as analytics grow within the league, well, we should just get a higher draft pick. I think it, it spells a disaster. I think that now that they find them, you know, what's going to happen in week 16 and week 17 of the season when these teams try to lose to get a higher draft pick? Is that the integrity of the game? I think Goodell should take a look at that based on this ruling. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the ruling showed that Stephen Ross said all the things that Brian Flores said he said. Now, the caveat is that they ended up interpreting it to where Stephen Ross 
didn't really mean it in a serious context. I want to find in my notes here what exactly they said that Stephen Ross did because I, th- I thought it was kind of laughable that this is how it was interpreted, but that's kind of not up to me and up to the NFL here. But it said one comment made by Stephen Ross to the head coach Brian Flores back in 2019 suggested that he'd pay him $100,000 to lose game. Comment was not intended or taken to be a serious offer, nor was the subject pursued in any respect by Mr. Ross or anyone else at the club. But also in the findings, it showed that Stephen Ross had talked to not only Brian Flores, but the general manager Chris Greer and other front office executives about prioritizing their 2020 draft position over the wins team loss record. So it's just kind of like those things, even just being inferred by the owner really opens up a can of worms. It does. And it opens up week 16 and 17 of the season. If I were Goodell, I would come out and say this ruling applies to any team who wants to tank at the end of the year. Yeah. You know, who want team who wants to just start substituting players out. You know, if you want to tank, I mean, remember the Eagles, the Eagles in that yeah. last game, of, you know, they did it and that there was no cause of it. But that was to me what the Eagles did was just as egregious as what Ross was talking about. They actually did it. They <laughs> intended to lose. Ross talked about losing. So, like, what are we going to do? To me, this gives Goodell some strength to go to the next league meeting and say, fellas, if you're not trying in week 16, 17, if you think you're going to get a higher draft pick based on no attempt, I'm going to look at that pretty closely, and it could cost you a lot of money. Yeah, the Eagles did it on national television, the final game of the regular season, taking Jalen Hurts out of the game and putting in Nate Sudfeld when there was a division title on the line. And I'm sure the New York Giants organization was not too happy with what happened there because if the Eagles had won that game, the Giants would have won the NFC East instead of the Washington football team back in 2020. But back to the tampering policy, they said it was on three separate occasions. Dolphins had impermissible communications with Tom Brady when he was the Patriots quarterback in 2019 and 2020. These communications began as early as August of 2019, all the way through Brady's final season in New England. Then they also communicated with Brady when he was the Bucks quarterback after the 2021 season. Discussions began no later than December 2021 and focused on Brady becoming a limited partner with the Dolphins and possibly serving as a football executive. And they also talked about Brady playing for the Miami Dolphins. And then the final one was impermissible communications with Saints head coach Sean Payton and his agent Don Yee, who was also Tom Brady's agent, like you mentioned there, in January of 2022. Discussions surrounded Payton becoming the next head coach of the Dolphins. Also, they did not seek consent from New Orleans to have those discussions with Sean Payton prior to him announcing his retirement. And then after Peyton announced his retirement, and then they went and asked for permission from the Saints, and the Saints said, get the hell out of here. We're not giving you any yeah. permission. So uh, it, it's just a mess. And the fact that an owner was so involved in this, and this is what Roger Goodell said. He said, quote, the investigators found tampering violations of unprecedented scope and severity. I know of no prior instance of a team violating the prohibition on tampering with both a head coach and star player to the potential detriment of multiple other clubs over a period of several years. Similarly, I know of no prior instance in which ownership was so directly involved in the violations. And when you see the suspension for Ross and you see the fine, which you might be getting off light with the fine there of one and a half million dollars. But to me, it's just a mess out there in Miami. Yeah, and I think it kind of shows us as, as fans that Ross is really involved with this team. Like, let's make no mistake about it. Like, Ross isn't this owner that's going up to the Hamptons and hanging out and sipping cocktails and, they'll call me when the game starts. He's, you could see he's intimately involved. You know, you wonder why Tua's got a tremendous campaign by everybody. You wonder why Tyreek Hill keeps promoting him. You think, you think, that, you think that's some – you think why you see videos every time pop around on, on Tua throwing the ball? I mean, because you could see he's involved. He, he's involved in this. They want to, he wants to make sure he's getting his message out because he was involved in the picking of Tua. Yeah. That, there's no denying that. 
So I think this is just kind of like, here's the story, but really what's the bigger story when you look at it? And I think the bigger story when you look at it is how much Ross really is involved and how Chris Greer is his instrument to be involved. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating stuff in Miami, but Ross now serving that suspension through October 17th, and he cannot go to the any of the league meetings until the annual league meeting in 2023. All right, let's take our first break here on this episode, and on the other side, we'll get back to the Blue Chip Red Chip Series and discussing the tight ends in the NFL. All right, this is the best time of the year for any sports fan. The college basketball tournament is coming up who could get enough hoops? And I'm rooting for Arizona this year. I'm a West Coast guy. I want to see a West Coast team win it. Hasn't been done since 1997. Hopefully the Wildcats can get it done. But regardless of who makes it to the final game in the tourney, one thing's for certain. It takes the most talented people working together to help these teams play at this level. And if you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. And right now, our friends over at ZipRecruiter can help you do that. ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash shuffle. You can try it out, no cost whatsoever. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for your position. Once you review your list of the most qualified candidates, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash shuffle. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash shuffle. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, Michael, let's continue our blue chip and red chip series. And this week we have landed on the tight end position, which I think is a really interesting one based on what we've seen in football over the last couple of decades, uh, you really want to define what a tight end is because over the last 15 to 20 years, I think we've really seen the position change and evolve from an offensive standpoint. No doubt. I mean, we've seen it from where really Joe Gibbs kind of started this whole thing with taking the fullback out of the game, you know, and, and, and changing the position. So to me, your draft board has to kind of reflect that. You know, when you build a draft board today in the National Football League, there is wise, then there are receiving H-backs, which are Fs, so that's an F position, which is a guy is a big inside receiver that will catch the ball in the middle of the field but is not very good at blocking. Mm -hmm. And he will not create a matchup of a substitution. For example, you know, Evan Ingram. The Giants draft him in the first round. Okay, he comes on the field. Everybody says that's he's another receiver, so I'm not going to – I'm going to keep my nickel on the field. Okay. So there, I get no advantage by him being a, 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 a tight end. He's, he's another receiver, so we call that F. And then you have to marry that with these big receivers in college that are really almost Fs, but they're not outside receivers. So you kick them inside. And so now your draft board has to have all three. The value of the tight end is he's got to be able to block at the end of the line, he's got to be able to block a defensive lineman, he's got to be able to secure the edge, easy block to the safety, and then also impact the passing game. Have quickness to win on third down. Have the ability to separate. This is a dinosaur position in the National Football League. It's few and far between these guys are doing it. But when you get one of these guys, they become the knight on the chessboard because they're so versatile. 
and you don't have to worry about substituting when you have this. Let's take the Raiders, for example. They have Darren Waller. Darren Waller is big. He's fast. He's physical. He can block on the edge. He can go out and play X. He can go play Z. He can play Y. So when he's on the field, if you want to go to just all nickel against him, you got a tough time. If you want to play base against him, who's covering him? Yeah. That's what you want to get to, right? You want to get to that. But when you have when you have Kyle Pitts on the field, you're the only question you're asking is, do we have a size guy that can match up to his size? <laughs> it's not that he, oh, we're worried about them running the ball behind him. We hope they try to run it behind him. He can't block anybody, <laughs> right? We know they're not going to be in 70 protection because he's not going to pass protect any defensive end. So what happens when he's on the field, their offense starts to get eliminated, right? Mm-hmm. There's, and so for a defense coordinator, what's the number one thing he does? He eliminates I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. And so that's why there's really no advantage to it, right? There's, it, it, there's like, that's what I keep, if you get, if you get Bavaro or Gronk or one of those guys where, okay, they could run it, they could throw it. Now we got trouble. Do you think this position is why we are seeing smaller linebackers and smaller safeties in today's football? Yeah, no doubt. Because we, you want to match on these big inside receivers, you know? Mm-hmm. Because as Parcells would often say, when he's, when he's covered, he's open. These big guys that get inside, Marquise Colston from his day with the Saints, right? Yep. He was never truly an outside receiver. He was, a big, he was a big receiver. So when you build your draft board, like that's what I think the kid Burks from Arkansas is. I think Burks is like a kid from Texas A&M years ago named Ron Bernstein. Kind of wasn't, and this is where you learned it from. Bernstein was not really a Y but he really couldn't win as an F because he didn't have enough quickness or he had speed, but it took too long for him to get going. You know, it's one of the issues with Smith up in New England. Is he going to be able to break down and win the routes or is he just going to be an over route runner? Is he just going to be a down the field runner, build speed? Because if that's the case, they just play you for the over route. You got to be able to be nifty in and out of your cuts. So it's a truly hard position. Look, in 1994, we were trying to make the scouts better. So we did a comprehensive study on like every position and, and studied every player in the league and graded them before the draft, what they did during the plays and all that. And so what we found was the positions that were asked to do two things, linebacker, play the run, drop into coverage, tight end, block for the run, you know, make an impact on the passing game. That's the position the scouts had the hardest time evaluating because it, what do you favor more? Yeah. What do you favor more? What do you favor blocking? Do you favor receiving? I mean, how do you cut the pie? You know, and so, and the only way you really understand how to cut the pie is you have to understand what you're doing offensively within the system, within the scheme of the team. You know, if you're a West Coast team, you can easy block that tight end quite a bit. He's not going to be a power point of attack guy. You know, so you can do, you can work around some of the limitations what Andy Reid does. I mean, he doesn't really ask Kelsey to be a point of attack guy, and so we're going to run the ball behind him. He reaches him out on the safety. They kind of fan the they they work the protection around him. Kettle at least Kettle can get you know Kettle's going to get some movement in the run game. He was trained to to be a really good blocker. So that's how you to me you have to evaluate the position. It's multidimensional. And there's some guys, some notable guys who didn't make the cut for your red chips or your blue chips. Some of them that. Fans, listeners, viewers might be wondering, hey, what's about what about that guy? Um, Kyle Pitts of the Atlanta Falcons, like you mentioned, he's kind of one of those big body he's wide a big, receivers. He's a big receiver. Like yeah. when he comes on the field, they're, they're going to play. They're never going to be. If say he's on the field, okay. Mm-hmm. Say he's on the field with two backs in the backfield. All right, it's twenty-one personnel, two backs, one tight end. The defensive coordinator, whoever he is, is going to view that as eleven because they're going to treat yeah. him as a tight end. They're going to treat him as a receiver, so they're going to go to nickel. So now you have no advantage. 
The object of it, like I learned this watching the Chicago Bulls. You know, Jordan could play three, he could play four, he could play point, he could play two, Pippen could play four, three, two, one. And so whenever they moved Pippen or Jordan around from two to three, three to two, the, the team had to try to change the matchup. But but Phil Jackson never had a change. He just he substituted within his own scheme. It's the same thing. Pitts, you, you can't. Now, if Pitts gets stronger, and if he can block the edge better, I mean, he's a fabulous athlete, but he's oh, yeah. a big receiver. He's a big receiver. Yeah. If he learned how to block, my goodness, that <laughs> he would well, be a hell of a Well, same thing with Evan player. Ingram. I mean, that's what yeah. we keep saying about Evan Ingram. Like, it, it, at some point, you say to yourself, we're not gaining the advantage. He's just a receiver. Uh, another name that Dawson Knox of the Bills, Zach Ertz of the Cardinals, but he's a little bit longer than the two. David Njoku of the Browns, he just got paid this offseason. Mike Gesicki Hi. under the franchise tag, and then Tyler Higby of the Rams. Why were those guys uh, left off of the list? Well, I mean, I think with Gusecki, I almost put him on the list. I mean, he's a big receiver. He's the perfect example of what I'm talking about. He's not a very good blocker, but he's a really good receiver. To me, he's a he's an F. Right. And if I made like if I made the all like I, I when I did this, I went up and I, I basically I put Pitts, Gasecki, or Irv Smith, all those guys to me are more F's. And you could almost have a category just of those guys and you could call them red F's if you want. Because they can win. But they're not gonna you but you go into the game plan knowing that Gasecki's gonna get the ball on third down and you're gonna be in substitution. You know they're not running behind him. So you can you can plan your game plan around them. To me, I think guys that are true reds, you you can't like Fryermuth of of uh, I think that's how you say his last yep. name, right? Pat Fryermuth. Yep. Uh, of Pittsburgh, really a good young player. He can block at the edge of the line. He can impact the passing game. You really can't go nickel against him because he'll kick the shit out of some small linebacker, right? <laughs> and he's good enough to make a play in the passing game. To me, he adds more value to the overall team than just one receiver playing outside. Yeah, you get to be multiple. Let's get into those red chips. Pat Fryermuth of the Pittsburgh Steelers is one of them. Hunter Henry of the New England Patriots, Dalton Schultz of the Dallas Cowboys, and TJ Hawkinson of the Detroit Lions here. Fryermuth, like you mentioned, he's a second-year guy. Last year was his rookie season, caught seven TD passes in 16 games without starting many of those games here. He looks like he's a guy that has a lot of upside. Dalton Schultz, he wants to get paid, didn't get paid by the July 15th franchise tag deadline, so he'll play this year under the tag here. But what really stood out to you with all of these four guys? I mean, Dalton Schultz is not a great blocker. He tries. He tries to get in the way. He's not as physical as you want him to be, but he's a really good receiver. And what he has is great hands, and he's got great eye-hand coordination. So he can get in and out of his cuts. And so you've got to be able to win on third down. You've got to be able to run a stick route on third down and put your foot in the dirt and separate, right? And and he can do that. I, I think he did. I think Hunter Henry did that really well last year. You know, I think all these guys. I mean, I think to me, they got to get better at blocking, but they do enough in the run game to where they're not a liability. You could at least say, we're going to run the ball behind Henry. We're going to run the ball behind Schultz. It may not be perfect, but mm-hmm. we can scheme around it a little bit. But to me, they can win against man-to-man coverage on third down, and I think that's really critical. Yeah, if you're not going to block, at least get in the way and make the defender have to go through you first uh, and don't be like a, an Olay out there. Um, Hunter Henry is interesting, though, because last year was the first time in his career that he played in every single game in the season, had the most TD catches in his career last year. Um, if he stays healthy, I feel like this is a guy that can be really, really good, and maybe that's why he wasn't as good earlier on in his career, just because he wasn't staying on the field. 
No, I think he does have to stay healthy, and, and they've got to get something out of Juno Smith. Juno Smith, I mean, they've got to get more out of him. He's got to be able to win in short areas. They've got to be able to use his vertical speed, but he's got to show that he can do more than just run over routes, you mm-hmm. know, and he's got to catch the ball down the field because the kid can block. I mean, he's physical enough to be able to give them two tight I mean, what you want to be able to do is be in 12 personnel, but also be in 10. Yeah. That's ideally what you want to be as an offense in football today. You want to have 12 on the field, so they've got to match up to 12, and then you want to be able to extend the formation, take the two tight ends, put them outside, put the two receivers inside, make the defense declare what they're in man or zone. Because when you're in that formation, if you're in zone, you got the corners are staying outside. If you're in man, they got somebody's got to come inside, right? The, mm-hmm. You know, somebody's got to come inside. So if you got that's why that's why there's always Kelsey's away from the three by one. It helps the quarterback read the coverage. TJ Hawkinson is interesting because he's entering in his fourth year. Uh, he's a former first round pick in that 2019 draft, but the production really hasn't matched the talent. Yeah. Uh, he's never averaged 50 plus yards per game in a season. His best season was 2020, 723 yards, 67 catches. He's another guy who's had trouble staying healthy. But despite that, he made your list. Why? You know, I, I thought he's just, I think he's in a wrong place. I think if he was on New England's team or if he was on a team that under, if he was in Tennessee, let's say, you know, I think he would be really a good, I, I think we would talk more about him. You know, I think he's got good hands. I think he can block. I mean, he's better to me. He's better than Noah Fant because Noah Fant doesn't block well enough. As athletic as Noah Fant is, I don't think he blocks well enough. So to me, I like I like Hawkinson because I think he can do a little bit of both and he can do them effectively. So, you know, I know he only played in 12 games last year. But, you know, when you're when you're sitting there and you're trying to kind of get to who he's played quarterback with. You know, and last year was with at least with a good, with a better quarterback, and I'm not saying Goff's great, but at least he was at 73 percent in terms of the catch from the balls thrown to him to what he caught, which is pretty good. And he was able to get 32 first downs when he did play. So for me, you know, yards per catch wasn't good enough, but I thought he was a developing his game. You know, and and two years ago in 20, I mean, he was mm-hmm. in the Pro Bowl. Not that that means yeah. anything. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant were teammates over at Iowa. So something must be in the water out there in Iowa City because they're churning out some of these tight ends. And we'll talk about another one of those tight ends in the blue chips segment here. Let's take another quick break. We'll get to the blue chips here momentarily. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning, I'm checking the betting odds, I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health, and DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning, it's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy, I'm sharper at work, I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your 
your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle. Code 25SHUFFLE. All right, Michael, it's time to talk the cream of the crop as it pertains yeah. to the tight end position in the NFL. And we'll start at the top here with Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews of the Baltimore Ravens, Darren Waller of the Las Vegas Raiders, George Kittle of the San Francisco 49ers, and then Dallas Goddard of the Philadelphia Eagles here. But Travis Kelsey, to me, three-time first-team All-Pro. He really is the ideal guy at the position in today's game. No doubt. You know, he, he can impact the game because he is the big receiver and he's got great hands. He's got great concentration and he can convert first downs. You know, I, I think, you know, Mark Andrews had an incredible season last year. Mm-hmm. You know, he was amazing. He had nine touchdowns. You know, he's very good at running inside routes at 70 percent of the time the ball was thrown to him. He was going to make the play on it. So, you know, he was very effective in that area. Uh, and and his catch radius is really good. And plus he can do, a, you know, he's not the most devastating blocker, but he can he can do some blocking. Uh, you know, Kittle to me is a really multidimensional player. When you look at him, he does pretty much everything really well. So, you know, he, he was easy. I, I felt like this was the easiest blue chip group to do. Waller to me is a unique player. I mean, Waller is so athletic. He's so big. He's so fast and he can run such good routes <clears throat> that, mm-hmm. you know, he's a nightmare to match up to. And in Josh McDaniel's offense, much like what Gruden's going to do, they're going to spread him around. And with Devontae Adams on one side, I think he's going to have a huge year. And then Hunter Renfro inside, I think he's going to have a huge year. And Goddard, to me, is the other guy that can do both really well. Goddard can block at the edge of the line, and he can run. You know, Zach Ertz, they needed to play Goddard more. Zach Ertz, to me, is still a good player. He's just on the cusp of being a red chip player. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, ultimately, Zach Ertz is really more of a, a receiver. He's exactly the big F that we're talking about. You got to extend him away. You don't want him in the line blocking all the time. Yeah, Kelsey coming out of Cincinnati, I thought was just so good in that offense. And he was so good after the catch, which has translated clearly to his play in Kansas City. Six straight 1,000-yard seasons. I mean, he's putting together a Hall of Fame caliber career here. One day he'll end up in Canton uh, entering his age 33 season, now his 10th year in the league. But he went all the way in the third round because there was some stuff that people didn't know if he was – uh, yeah. He had some off the field issues going on lot, there. Yeah. Um, so it, it it's was, a guy that I mean, it, it worked out going to Andy Reid in Kansas City. No, no doubt. I mean, they, you know, and and obviously they had good information. I was in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. We didn't. The kids from Cleveland. Yeah. You know, but there was a lot of, you know, you get into that. You know, it's one of those things. Like I said, you don't make mistake on the tape. You make mistake on the valuation of the character. Yeah. That, that's what hurts you the most. And what also hurts you is when you take these, if you take these guys and you don't understand where they fit within the framework of your offense. I mean, that's why Kyle Shanahan's able to get Kittle in the fifth round because he understood what he was looking for. It's why you ask about Iowa. Kirk Ferentz knows what he wants and whys. Mm-hmm. And he wants to run a 12 personnel team. He wants to be able to be balanced and run the outside and inside zones. So he knows what he needs to run his offense. That's why there's more tight ends there. You know, it's like I often say all the time, if you want a fat team, you'll recruit fat players. You want a skinny team, you'll, it's who do you want to be? The problem is nobody sits down at a desk and defines exactly what they want because they're constantly changing what they want because here comes a new coordinator in. Here comes a new you know, coach come in. And all of a sudden, there's no standard of excellence for the position by the organization. That's what it really has to happen. It has to happen by the organization. Yeah, 
continuity brings it breeds excellence because you know what you're looking for and when you know what you're looking for that that's half the battle right there kittle do you think he's the best run blocking tight end in the nfls or somebody that's above him well i mean in their scheme he certainly is you know because they're going to eat they're going to roll they're going to run the tight end you can't go to i mean when he when kyle's operating at his best right to me this is what what makes kyle's offense so effective and i don't know why he would ever get away from it but when kyle has kittle and he has a fullback that can really run yeah. along with a halfback and two receivers. He's in base personnel. He forces you to play base, but he's too fast for you in his base for your base defense. So when he plays a team like New England and he stays in base and New England has Hightower and Jamie Collins and these big mm-hmm. linebackers on the field, the game's way too fast for him. It's a bad matchup. So when you, to me, the key to football is staying base, not having a substitute, but substitute from within substitute from within. That's what made Gronk. When Gronk and Hernandez were going good, they, they didn't have to substitute. The only time they substituted was when they got, you know, uh, they would change running backs. Yeah. You know, they would change running backs. That would kind of indicate where they're going. But if, if, you, if you don't have to do that and you can change your personnel and you can move around, it, it just makes the play calling so much easier. And when Kyle's going good, he's really fast. Kittle gives him a fast team in base. Yeah. A fast team in base is hard to defend. Yeah, no, I think you outlined that perfectly. They're staying in base because then the defense has to match that. Otherwise, if they go small, you're going to run the ball right down their throats. And, it's, and, and it's he won't get bored running it. Yeah. He won't get bored. Andy Reid gets bored running it. Andy Reid gets tired of five-yard gains. Yeah. Like Josh <laughs> McDaniels won't get bored. If, if Josh Jacobs is good, and I don't know if he'll be good, if he, if he doesn't hold on to the football, they won't put him on the field. So he's got to hold on to the ball. But the reality here is if he's good – He's going to have a light box every game because somebody's got to roll the coverage to, to, to Devontae Adams. And then somebody's got to handle Waller or else Waller will catch 150 balls just running slants. Yeah. yeah. These, these guys are really the ultimate kind of matchup nightmares, which is why we've seen a lot of these defenses go a little bit smaller, try to find linebackers who can cover better or safeties who can run better just because these guys are really nightmares to deal with right up the seam. Um, from a scouting perspective, because we've seen a lot of these tight ends come from basketball backgrounds dating back to Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Jimmy Graham. That was widely known as well. Uh, why do you think basketball translates so much to this position? Well, because if you're great in basketball, if you're a rebounder in basketball, the number one trait is balance. If you're going to catch the ball in the National Football League, the number one trait is balance. you got to have good hands. That goes without saying, right? you mm-hmm. got to be able to have good hands. I mean, you can't have blocks for hands and be balanced, right? You're going to drop it. Yeah. But you got to be in position to catch the ball against being covered. So you got to be able to rebound when somebody's trying to box you out. It's the same thing. And so being physical and being in two feet, being having all 10 cleats in the ground to jump and go get the ball is really important and have great eye-hand coordination when you do it. So there's a constant translation. The problem is when you try to take a, a, a basketball player who's high cut, who doesn't really have great bend, and he's not really always in balance. And Joku's a guy that kind of has overcome his lack of balance. I don't think he's an elite receiver or an elite blocker. I think he's a good player, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's quite a red yet. But I think, to me, he's more of a vertical speed guy that gets down the field. But I'm not sure he's always in balance to make the play on the ball that he needs to make it. You know, because you're going to get covered. You know, the windows are going to be tight. It's what, what they call a, a, a nap throw in, in, in New England's terminology, which is a non-aggressive player is covering you, where he's really got you covered, but you're really, he's not dominating you. Like there's, you could throw the ball to a certain spot yeah. and the player can make the play on it. Yeah, just like boxing out for a rebound in a, in a sense. No there. doubt. 
Yeah, I think that's that's why you see a lot of these guys. I mean, teams have kicked the tires on uh, college basketball players. Some of those forwards that are a little bit bigger that don't necessarily translate to today's NBA. They've tried to convert them into becoming tight ends in the NFL. Mo Ali Cox played basketball in college yeah. and was actually pretty good at basketball in college. And we see, I, I think he's a pretty good player. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think he's quite to the red level, but I think he. I think with him getting all the reps with with uh, J- Jack Doyle retiring, I, I think he could really be. He can enhance. I think he's going to continue to get better. Yeah, yeah, he was a pretty good basketball uh, player over there at VCU, and that was turned into quite the tight end, six six two sixty for the Indianapolis Colts. Real quick, though, to wrap up this discussion, uh, only one first-round pick of the blue chips and the red chips, the combined nine guys we have on this list, only one of them was a first-round pick. That was TJ Hawkinson. Why do you think that is? Because it's the hardest position to evaluate, right? Because it's a Mm -hmm. dual position. And the scouts may have one view of what the position is, the personnel director, and then the coaches may have a completely different one. Oh, we just need somebody in the passing game. Okay, great. So we get this passing receiver, and all of a sudden, you know, he, we can't run the ball behind him. Yeah. You know, so it, it really comes down to scouting inside out. I got to know what I want before I can go out and find it. You know, so this is exactly what I'm looking for. I want somebody who's this tall, who's got this kind of quickness. You know, he can impact the passing game. He can run seams. He can run seven routes. He can do the things. You know, it's a hard position to find. And so because it's it's kind of easy to ignore because some people value something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. some people view it as a luxury position, but I think it's the position that if you nail it, that's the ultimate chess piece on the board, like you mentioned there. Um, just to recap yep. the blue chips, Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs, Mark Andrews of the Ravens, Darren Waller of the Raiders, George Kittle of the 49ers, Dallas Goddard of the Eagles, none of which were first-round picks. Really impressive stuff, and kudos to those teams to finding those hidden gems in the dirt. Michael, let's take one final break. We'll get some other news and notes from around the league. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning, I'm checking the betting odds, I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health, and DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning, it's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy, I'm sharper at work, I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed subscription service easily builds DSO1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle. Code 25SHUFFLE. All right, Michael, let's do a little rapid-fire news and notes from around the league, starting with tonight's Hall of Fame game. Football is back. Raiders-Jaguars Hall of Fame game in Canton. And I'm curious to know how much a front office, the general manager, all the scouts, how much they factor in 
game performance when evaluating and making those roster cuts versus what guys have done during the training camp practices? Well, I mean, this is game situation, so you got to understand it. I mean, none of the regulars are going to start. Derek Carr is not going to play. Lawrence isn't going to play. This is really a game for the backups to show their skill set and to see if they can adapt to the level of speed in the game. I wrote about it today for VEASAN. The level of speed in the preseason is different than the level of speed in the regular season, but the, regular, but the preseason game speed is different than practice speed. So... You're kind of seeing if they can adapt to it, get used to it, especially in the secondary where, you know, most of the corners on each team, they've seen the other receivers run a thousand routes, yeah. so they know how to play a route. This is going to be fresh opportunity to evaluate. So it'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. One of the cool things about preseason, we see these quarterback competitions. You wrote about this as well at vsum.com in your column today. The competition going on in Pittsburgh, in Carolina. Uh, but let's focus in mainly on Pittsburgh because there's a quarterback situation that's brewing. None of the guys look very good. Mitch Trubisky has been yeah. struggling. Kenny Pickett has been struggling. Maybe it's Mason Rudolph in this three-way competition in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, how do you think they handle this thing? And maybe should they call up the Niners and ask for Jimmy G? I mean, if I were them, I would, you know, but here's what I try to write about today is I try to write about how do you evaluate these quarterbacks with the, based on the preseason? Like, how does Matt Rule and Mike Tomlin make this decision? It's not about, okay, he's got a 60% completion ratio. It, there's intangibles that go into this that have to be pointed out. In the article, there's five of them that I think are the most critical. And, and so I think that's really what happens. And if you don't have anybody, if Mike Tomlin gets to the point where he doesn't have anybody, then he's got to go make another move, and he knows it. And you can't let past performance of money dictate what you're going to do moving forward. So I, I, think, I think that's where – and Tomlin's smart enough to see. The problem mm -hmm. is, is, and I wrote this, the, both Rule and Tomlin have to make assumptions. They, they, they have to make – there's things they're not going to see that they're going to have to assume, and that can lead to a problem down the road. Yeah, no, I, I totally think that's fair there. It's going to be a tough decision for them to come up with somebody who's going to be starting. Also, did you see this report that came out? Uh, and that's not even a report. There's actually video to show it. As the Saints offensive tackle, Trevor Penning. He's a first-round pick, and he's been getting kicked out of practice for starting fights. In fact, he started a fight in practice in three straight days, now getting kicked out. Is that a big deal or no deal? It's a big deal. I mean, look, you got to play. One of the things that I think is important for quarterbacks is to play with emotional intelligence, right? You got to be able to control your emotion. Football is a violent game. It's a very violent game. However, yeah. the reality of it is, is if you don't play within control of yourself, you're only going to get penalties. And if he's going to start fights, he's going to get 15 yards. You know, you're not going to play if you're going to get penalties. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the most disappointing thing here is he was told not to happen and he goes does it again and then he was told not to happen and he does it again yeah. you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen and so to me look it's real clear it's like you got to sell tell this to every player on the team when you're working in special teams if you get penalties in the kicking game you ain't playing like if you're going to block somebody in the back in the kicking game you're not playing you're not going to make the team like we can't tolerate penalties in the kicking game it's hidden yards it shows up so you got to be able to, to coach the players on what they need to understand. Yeah, and I, and I saw Jeff Schwartz, who down does media, played in the league for a little bit there. He pointed out that one of the biggest reasons why he gets kicked out is because this is wasting time. They have only a certain amount of time they can do for these practices. If you get into a big scuffle, now time is being wasted. That's an extra rep lost. And if you keep doing that, those are reps lost all throughout the course of training camp because one guy is just picking these fights here. And I get there's the fine line of being physical and trying to be an enforcer, but also just be smart. Like, why are we getting in yeah, fights? No, it's just, it's not productive. Yeah. yeah it's, you're not helping the team. You're hurting the team. Yeah. 
Like, you know, every time Garrett Bowles holds in Denver, you know, two years ago when he was holding all the time, it just hurts the team. Like, you're, you're hurting the team. And, and you have to do what's best for the team, not hurt the team. And uh, finally, over in the Bay Area, Debo Samuel, he got his money, Michael. Three years, $73.5 million shortly after DK Metcalf signed his extension with the Seattle Seahawks. So we went from starting the offseason with Debo scrubbing his social media and asking for a trade to where now he's happy in Santa Clara. Yeah, I mean, look, don't ever believe anything you read in the offseason, right? <laughs> it's all about money. Again with the money. Where's Johnny Sack? Again with the money. I mean, seriously, it's always about the coin. One thing I, I wrote this today, too. You know, when you, when you stand in front of your team and you talk about the quarterback, mm -hmm. the, what players know more than anything is they know money. They know money and they know who's a who's good player. They they can evaluate. There's all these guys on the field are pro personnel evaluators. They all know. You can't fool them. <laughs> Yeah. I think I've heard that a lot of players oftentimes within like the first practice, they can tell if a draft pick has a chance to be good or just can't play. Is that right. true for evaluators as well when you guys go out there and it's like, oh shit, yeah. we might have made a mistake here? Oh yeah, because it's, it's, it's so clear like, oh shit, this is, oh, we, you know, why didn't we consider this, you know? Yeah, that, that's it's not, not a good feeling I'd imagine there if you find out within uh, practice one that your first round pick might not be a first-round caliber of talent. All right, that does it for this week's episode of the GM Shuffle. As always, subscribe, rate, and review. We will get to your questions later on this month here. We saw some that have come in on the YouTube page, so make sure to watch the YouTube videos as well and leave some questions there or leave them in the reviews on Apple and or sign Spotify. sign up for YouTube. Sign up for sign the YouTube. Sign up for YouTube. There you we go. Need, we need you to sign up. Subscribe. We'll have all the links and all that stuff. And, and let us know what you think of our blue chip, red chip list. And also, if you have any questions for Michael as we get through the preseason, because baby football is back and we cannot wait to actually watch some games. All right. Thank you to Michael. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you to our producer, Stephen Bond, on the ones and twos, as always. And thank you for you guys for listening and watching the GM Shuffle. And we'll talk to you guys next week. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning, I'm checking the betting odds, I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health, and DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning, it's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy, I'm sharper at work, I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DS01 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your your gut with seeds ds01 daily symbiotic go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25 shuffle that's 25 shuffle to get 25 percent off your first month 25 percent off your first month of seeds ds01 daily symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle code 25 shuffle